When you go to bed with that person, you're not just going to bed with that person. You're going to bed with every other person that person has ever gone to bed with before in their life. So just picture it's as if you're all crawling into one bed together. What if I want to have sex before I get married? Well, I guess you just have to be prepared to die. This is Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary, brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Simon. Hello, I'm Kate Rambo. Kate Hi. Rambo. It's the first episode of the new year. Well, sort of. It's the second kind episode of. of the new year, but it's the first live episode of the new year. It is. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, well, we pre-recorded last week because we're on vacation over uh, over New Holiday. Year's, which is probably you know this might be the first time I've ever been to a foreign country uh, for New Year's. Yeah, it's my, definitely mine, unless you count going up to Scotland, which no one does. So yeah, it's my first time being on well, holiday for New Year's. I mean, I've done destinations like I did New York City. I did New York City at the turn of the millennium in uh, two thousand. Um, and I've done like other cities in the States, but I've never actually been out of the country for New Year's. It was the first there. But, you know, I've always said that I wanted to do New Year's in different locations, but it's such a bitch to travel. You know, it's, yeah. And so that's why I'm always kind of like, fuck it. And you're kind of like steel. Like you, you stay home and watch Nicolas Cage movies, right? That is my tradition on New Year's. I watch whichever... I usually watch Mandy. Mandy is always on the list, but I I'll watch the ones that I've been craving to watch. And Steele just does uh, Bronson movies back to back. It's like a Bronson. Me and Steele are very similar people. You're just drinking Jim Beam. What does he drink? Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and just watch. some beer. Yeah, I get you know tanked on wine, and I'll usually have like some you know some favorite food out if I've been craving because you know I don't eat pasta all the time. If I'm craving pasta, I usually make pasta, and just get absolutely steamboat drunk. Not me. I usually it's it's all um, you know rom coms. It's like Moonstruck, Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> I love Moonstruck. Romy and Michelle. I get a pizza. Love that film. Still, you know, maybe not all the films I like. I put on my sweats, and I just get I just get comfy. <laughs> That's what I do, like every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, not this year. This year, well, last year or this new past New Year's. It was um, this year. I guess it was this year. Uh, Kate and I went uh, went to Lisbon, Portugal, for New Year's, which was quite the experience. Went there for a few, uh, what four nights, five nights, and then uh, flew to Paris. For three nights and then uh, came home. I got an incredible deal on a on a flight and a, and on the flights and hotel. So I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" We've never been to Portugal. Yeah, I'd never been, and you know, I wanted to see the country where Madeleine McCann mysteriously disappeared from. <laughs> they love drinking in Lisbon. Oh my god! It's definitely a, a drinker's town, and it's Ooh, a yeah. really cool city. It's like picturesque. Um, Great food, very affordable. I mean, that, that's kind of what blo- blows my mind, especially living in a place like L.A. where everything's expensive. It's like you go there, dinner for two, with a bottle of good wine, 
um, with less than 40 euros. It's like probably like 32 bucks. Yeah, but also their wages reflect that. Yeah, probably the cost. Well, the cost of living is less, so they probably make less. But they look like they enjoy the life there, at least. Well, yeah, because they're not worked to death like Americans are. <laughs> you know, we actually do have things called quality of life over here, and we have workers' rights. Some socialism isn't bad for you guys, you know? I'm, I am down with a seven weeks paid vacation. You'd get more than that. Like, I basically get that, and I'm in a blue-collar shitty job. Like, some pla- places get higher. You get more and more the higher up you go. What do the corporate, what do the corporate jobs get? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. Do I look like I know I've ever worked a corporate job? Yeah, but I mean, do you, you know somebody? Imagine me in an office. I've been in every day. But do you know somebody that works a corporate job? Yeah, but we're not sitting there talking about work. Because unlike Americans, your life isn't about work. That's all we do here. We just work. And the Japanese. I would say you two, <laughs> the Americas and uh, the Japanese are tied for just being workaholics. It is amazing. It It is amazing, though, that you guys get a pension and seven seven weeks pay vacation or six weeks pay vacation, whatever, for a blue collar job. Like you come over here and you work at Safeway, you're not getting seven weeks pay. You're not even probably getting a week paid vacation. And that's why the workplace shootings happen because God, I would have gone into my work a long time ago and shot everyone. (laughs) <laughs> if I didn't have a goal of, like, in in four weeks' time, I'll have two weeks off and I won't have to see these pricks. <laughs> but Lisbon was cool. It was a cool city to go yeah. uh, check out. We kind of get into it on the uh, on the second. So you're going to graphic detail about going to Lisbon and uh, for kind of a romantic holiday. I mean, I don't get to see Kate very often. You know, once every three months till she hopefully that, that, that changes in the, in the next month or so. Um, but I don't get to see you all that often, so it was kind of a romantic holiday, and mm-hmm. it turned out to be crashed <laughs> by a, a certain Pakistani Mr. Bean lookalike. We go into it on the second show. We get, we give we you do. all the details, and I got to say, Kate was exceptionally cool about the the Mr. Bean crashing of our holiday because it was fun well, to spend it with a celebrity. I guess it's not often you get to party with Mr. Bean. A packy Mr. Bean. Um, sort of. <laughs> All the women I've dated would have been very pissed off about one of my mates crashing our holiday, but you were kind of cool about it. Yeah, but that's because you've dated a lot of uh, American cunts, mate. Well, that's true. But I think most women in general. I've, I've <laughs> talked to a few people, and they're like, you're on holiday with your missus, and your mate just seems to be there every single night. In the club room waiting for us. <laughs> Just most women would not have been cool with that. But anyway, he wasn't. He was there for the first part of the trip, but then we ended up going to Paris uh, for the second part, him. and he was not. He was not there for that. Um, I was expecting him to be there though <laughs> in the club room. I just expected us. us to be walking around the Eiffel Tower and guess Mr. Bean just pops out. You know? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> We're at the Arc de Triomphe. Mr. Bean just appears. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go to the club room? <laughs> fancy, a, fancy a beer. Fancy a pint. It's just like, yeah. Jesus Come on, Christ. you cunts. <laughs> um, anyway, Paris is an amazing city. I always love going there. Definitely not as affordable as Lisbon. No, it's um, like London prices. Yeah, it's like New York or L.A. But, um, but yeah, but just such a great city. And we, we had a really good time there. And uh, one of my favorite experiences we had during the holiday 
uh, was uh, we spent the day at one of my favorite places in the world, one of our favorite places in the world, uh, Père Lachaise Cemetery. Um, Pierre Lachaise, isn't it? That's how I'm going to say it. Pierre Lachaise. I thought it was Lachaise. It could be Lachaise. Uh, we're not going to get into this nougat nugget. I, I don't know how to... situation. I, I'm going to butcher every single pronunciation of these French cemeteries I'm about to talk about. <laughs> but Well, yeah. Anyway, we it went does. to Paris, and I think that was like the main thing we wanted to do, was just walk around Père Lachaise and just check it out, because it is an amazing cemetery. It is the most visited cemetery in the world. I love it there. This, I think this was my sixth or seventh time going, probably six. This is there. my third. And I'm still not bored of it. This is my third, but it was the most fun, because we, we had a good time just kind of, I mean, we're so hungover, but... Um, but it was just it was just cool to spend the day walking around there. But that's the thing with Paris. Like, uh, you know, Père Lachaise is definitely the most famous cemetery in Paris. But there's like five major cemeteries there. So we, so this is kind of a now it's become a bucket list item. When we go back there. We have to hit at least another cemetery. Go to Père Lachaise and go hit one more cemetery till we've seen we'll go, all five. We'll go visit Serge Gainsbourg because I think is he uh, in Montparnasse? Uh, that one, that big one. Uh, let's see here. I wrote them all down. So, you. You well, starting them. from like, uh, you know, the, the, the least famous leading up to the most famous. Uh, right. Cemetery de Picpus. <laughs> Picpus. The cemetery of the Pink, pink Pussy? Puss. Is that where whores are buried? Because that's where I want to be buried, in the Pink Pussy Cemetery. Well, it's where all the victims uh, that were guillotined. Um, Eve, oh my god because that's my preferred method of execution as well i want to be bur buried in the pink pussy cemetery it's one of the trickiest cemeteries to find in paris it's a private cemetery tucked behind a nondescript wooden door uh, well away from the crowded city center in the uh, 12th and so we were right by it but is this the one that's only open twice a year to the public i'm not sure about that i didn't look it up but, uh, I think that's there's own, there's one of them that's. It only might open. be this one. I mean, it's tiny. Yeah. Uh, noblemen who were guillotined during the French Revolution were buried here in mass graves. Oh, sexy. Yeah, as, along with uh, sixteen Carmelite nuns who went to their death singing hymns. So the oh, sixteen kind of, nuns were guillotined. Seventeenth of July, seventeen ninety four, and the uh, the other French revolutionary uh, uh, fighters here were guillotined on the fourteenth of June. Um, through the 27th of July, 1794. Uh, also, the architect of Versailles. Oh, yeah. he was guillotined. No, but he was buried there. Oh, right, that's nice. I was about yeah. to say, did they guillotine him because he was just so fucking opulent? <laughs> well, Lafayette was only allowed to be buried in the cemetery because some of his wife's relatives were guillotined during the French Revolution. Oh, so is the rule here you've got to be guillotined? You've got to be guillotined to be, to be, uh, to well, be buried there. You remember that spate of people who were building their own guillotines in like their garden? It was mainly men, and they would be like solar powered, and they were committing suicide. You remember that? There was yeah, a fair we, few of them. We covered a story about one a guy that did it in Northern California. Just built his yeah. own ghillie right in the back, right in the back his backyard. Built a ghillie. And as the sun rose, uh, he kills you. And I've always and I've always thought being there's something incredibly sexy about being guillotined. It's just like so dramatic and brilliant. I do like imagine that waiting period, the suspense up until when the sun, you know, gets hot enough to actually like, you know, I would just activate take a the ton of sleeping pills, wouldn't you? I'd just knock myself I'd out with some Xanax. 
Oh, would you? you watch Tim car. and Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, yeah, you know, pleasure before Chill. pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second cemetery here that we haven't checked out is Cemetery de Passy. I like this. You got the cemetery of the pink, pink puss, and now you got a cemetery of just posse. It's just straight up pussy. Is this, uh, all right, pussy or, po- or posse? I was about to say, is this where the <clears throat> Parisian Mexican Pussy, P A S S Y. Passe. It's so yeah. passe to be buried here. <laughs> it's a small cemetery uh, near the Champ Elysees. Champ Elysees. Champ de Elise, I don't know. Anyway, it's, um, it became the aristocratic necropolis of Paris. So uh, you get the Impressionist painters, Edouard Manet and uh, Bert Marizot. Oh, um, composers Claude well, Debussy and uh, Gabriel Ferre. Uh, you also have the American newspaper publisher, James Gordon Bennett Jr., which is weird. How did he end up there? I don't know. I will be on odd. Wikipedia on personal life section later. Interesting fact, it's the only cemetery in Paris to have a heated waiting room. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is very posh. Posh for your pussy. It's the posh Just as an aside, while we're talking about uh, the French, the only thing I kind of have in my head right now is, you know, on The Simpsons, when they were like, he's teaching the crowd how to laugh, and they're all laughing, and he goes, (laughs) the teacher, the French teacher, you remember, she's like, Everyone laugh, and then she goes, no, in Francais, and they go, ha, 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 ha. Do you remember that scene? I vaguely recall it. <laughs> That's a classic Simpsons moment for me. In my head, I'm just, ha, ha, ha. Anyways. Um, <laughs> cemetery de, in uh, Montparnasse. That's where Serge is. Yeah, it's also known as the Left Bank um, Cemetery, and it's regarded by many Parisians as a peaceful park in the heart of one of the busiest quarters of the city. Um, it's near the yes, car. that is where singer Serge Gainsbourg is buried. It's also where Baudelaire is buried. We'll have to go there. I want to give Serge Gainsbourg a really juicy smooch. Playwright Samuel Beckett. Um, oh, I see that. Philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. No way. Yeah. And uh, writer Simone de Beauvoir. Oh, yeah, because they have their graves next to each other because they were married. Uh, fans of Serge Gainsbourg tend to leave Metro tickets atop his tombstone as an homage to his famous song, The Ticket Puncher of Lilas. I'm going to give him a smooch. I might possibly tongue him as well. That's what he can have for me. Sexy fucker. I wonder if he has, uh, kind of like Victor Noir, I wonder if, does he have like a, an area of his like, you know, stone that's just rubbed off from women's vaginas? Like sluts, just like going and dripping on him? Just slags? Uh, no, he's just got a normal headstone, because I was looking at it the other night. Uh, but he should have a statue where women can ride him, because I would <laughs> ride Serge Gainsbourg into battle. And the second most famous cemetery here in Paris is Cemetery <laughs> de Montmartre. Which I actually really okay, like Montmartre. Yeah, yeah. I had never really been up there before. I mean, we were super close to it, but it was nighttime when we went up to Montmartre. You would have been close. So, uh, yeah, that's the one near Sacre Coeur. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Yeah, this is the one by Sacre Coeur. It's set in an abandoned gypsum quarry. It's also one of the most atmospheric cemeteries in the city. Ooh. Uh, let's see. They have uh, writers Emile Zola and Alexandre Dumas. Film director uh, Truffaut. Francois Truffaut is oh, buried there. Yeah. No way. Brilliant. As well as dancer Vaslav Nijinsky. 
Uh, fun fact here is during the French Revolution, the abandoned quarries eventually became the cemetery were used as mass graves for those that were killed during the riots, including several hundred Swiss guards killed defending um, the Tulleries on the 10th of August, 1792. It's funny, the French loved to riot. We even saw a riot when we were there. Yeah, they, I've every time I've been to Paris, I was telling you I've seen a riot, and one time I got stuck in a riot because me and my it was actually the first time I went to Paris. Me and my friend were like walking one way, and we ended up walking into the riot, and we just like walked all the way through all these like French people shouting shit. And then later on, when we got back to the hotel, and we were like opening a bottle of wine, we turned on the telly as we were getting ready, and there on the news was the riot. I was like, we were just in that, and there was like the police came. There was like um, what the the smoke bombs chucked at them to calm Tear them gas. down. Tear gas. And I was like, that's where we were. Isn't that funny? It's down the road from us. Yeah, but the last night we were there, we walked over. We were kind of we walked by Notre Dame, which is still under construction. You can't even go near it. And uh, then we headed by um, what was that place called? The Pantheon. Is that what it yeah, was? Yeah, up to the Pantheon. The yeah. Pantheon. And so as we were going up there, we just saw like I don't know thirty paddy wagons. Like popo everywhere, yeah. and that's when I started to get a little paranoid. I was like, I want out of this area. There's just like so much police. I'm like getting a bit like paranoid about it. So then we walked past a cafe that was manned by a dwarf. So naturally, <laughs> we, we went inside. We saw a dwarf through the window. <laughs> we were <laughs> just like, we have to go. We have to eat there. He was a so great waiter too, and he was very funny. He had the jokes. Like, I mean, you've got to when you're that tiny. You've got to be fucking funny. He could have been in a Truffaut movie. He was great. Yeah, he was He was great. But it was funny because we're sitting in the cafe, and next thing you know, yeah, it was like a full-on riot, just a big protest and a march, and there are, I don't know, like hundreds of people. So we were kind of trapped in the dwarf cafe. With the dwarf. And then what did the dwarf, the dwarf cracked, cracked a joke about the riot, didn't he? Something about the French always doing it. Yeah, something like that. Bless you. I, w- I was getting drunk. I was getting drunk, and then I forget, like, which country I'm in. I'm like, you know, like, hola. It's like, oh, wait, no, bonjour. Bonjourno. Bonjourno. <laughs> <laughs> and the number one I cemetery in Paris is uh, Père Lachaise. And it's the largest necropolis in Paris, and it's the world's most uh, visited graveyard. Um, Opened in 1804, over 70,000 ornate tombs, and more than one million people buried there, which is insane. Yeah. Um, Some famous people, and we visit all these graves. Um, Composer Frédéric Chopin. We didn't visit Chopin, but okay, let's pretend we did. I have seen his grave before. I, you know, I've I've been by Chopin. Did we not walk by his? I thought we did. No, Maybe see, not. this is the thing I like about Piella uh, Shees is you'll always there's always graves I'll hit up. Now Anna Karina is there. I'm every time I'm I go to Piella Shees, I'm always going to see Anna Karina. But I, usually I go to Colette, but it doesn't bother me if I miss Colette. Like we miss Colette this time, and uh, I usually go to Jim Morrison to tell him to fuck off. We did go see Jim Morrison. Kate paid but respects. I couldn't, I could not tell him to fuck off. You can hear about why on the second show because we made a friend. Yeah, we met we met a friend at uh, Oscar Wilde's grave because we were both joking about um, Oscar Wilde's His cock and balls being, being missing. Yes. Um, this guy was great. He was like the coolest grandfather you could possibly have. Oh, my God. I'm going to think about him for the rest of my life. I loved him. So I couldn't tell Jim Morrison to fuck off. It would have been disrespectful to him. He was a like, big Like, I don't fan. care about Jim Morrison, but I care about this granddad. 
Uh, who else is buried there? Honoré Balzac, Proust, Gertrude Stein. We didn't see her, did we? Uh, we walked past it, uh, but we didn't like stop and observe her. We didn't visit with her. Oscar Wilde, actress Sarah Bernhardt, now actress Anna Karina, who uh, died this past year. No, um, Anna Karina died a couple of years ago. Now. I thought she died last year. Was it? Uh, no, I think she died 21. 2021. Oh, maybe. Um, you know, Père Lachaise was the first cemetery in the world to issue a code of conduct after fans started taking drugs and having sex on Jim Morrison's grave. <laughs> but you know, it's funny well, he's though. He's so gross. I wouldn't say uh, um, Kate Rambo acted very appropriately when uh, we all walked by Victor Noir's grave. You can. I'm going to post those pictures of me on Victor Noir's grave around Valentine's Day on my Instagram. But if not, I'm sure we'll put some on the Patreon because they're saucy. Hey, you like hiked your skirt up. Climbed You've on. got to. You've got to for delectable <laughs> well, Victor. What is the deal with that guy? He's like, he was, he was uh, a journo. He was a journalist. Yeah. And a, gen- and, a revolutionary and he- journalist who was shot for his beliefs by just some fucking madman. So his whole statue of him laying down is him after he'd been shot and he's become a weird fertility because he's like such a figure of rebellion and oppression. He's a, become a fertility symbol. And the thing is, you can either wish him to get pregnant, which obviously I don't want. But if you rub your crotch on his crotch, then it's guaranteed to give you a good year of sex with your husband. Well, he's got a bulge, like a significant bulge. He's sexy. And I also gave him a, a big kiss on the cheek and said thank you to him. If I recall correctly, you not only rubbed your crotch on his crotch, you also rubbed your crotch on his face. I, I did sit on Victor Noir's <laughs> face, just briefly. I mean, I'm sure he enjoyed it. I also yeah, gave no, Oscar Wilde a smooch on the yeah, behind. I don't think he had any like complaints. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, the most infamous mausoleum there and the one that we were most eager to check out is that of the baroness demidoff the glass coffin vampire princess of Père Lachaise cemetery uh, she's the subject of this week's show um, and she also had a very interesting clause in her will that would bestow yes. a million francs to someone brave enough to spend 365 days and 365 nights alone with the Baroness within her tomb. So we're going to get to that in just one minute. But first, let's talk about another tomb. The Tomb of the Sick and Wrong. Patreon. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, we've been doing a lot of stuff on Patreon this, this uh, recently. Definitely um, the past few months. Uh, but this, this past week, uh, the patron that we did was a full-on exclusive about the holiday. We go into all the sort of details, including the Euro bathroom situation in Lisbon and Paris. I, I got to say, the European bathrooms are definitely very unnerving to a Yank. You say that, though, but there's still better toilets than what you get in America. But I am going to die on this hill that no country in the world, maybe Japan has, because I've not been to Japan, but Britain is the only place on this planet that can do the toilet. We know how to do a public bathroom. Sort We've of. We've got it down. Sort of. But look at the, the toilet we had in that hotel in York. That was an exception. And that's probably the worst bathroom we've ever had. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it was like, I didn't put it this way. I did not use the, I went into the restaurant to use the facilities. 
to to make bears in the yeah. restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, you can hear all about the Euro bathroom experience. Quick spoiler: Kate got drunk and made bears in the bidet in Lisbon. But um, I, I did. I did not do anything <laughs> like that. In fact, I was the one who told you how to use a, a, a bidet. You're gonna have to listen to the second show to find out if I'm lying or not. Anyways, it doesn't cost that much. Only $5 a month. And you get to support your favorite podcasters on the Patreon and, uh, and get access to the second show. And, and not to mention all the other perks um, and pride that come with, uh, with supporting podcasts. Um, also, for a few bucks more, you get access to uh, the Sick and Wrong Overkill, which is our bonus mini-sode, as well as the Sick and Wrong Archives, the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong available on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Here's a quick Patreon teaser that we're hoping will persuade you to sign up. And then let's chat about spending the night in the Baroness Demidoff's tomb. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, how would you rank it? What you're more likely to do? Yellow shower, brown shower, Roman shower. What what am I more likely to do? Yellow shower, of course. So yellow shower top. Okay, it. then does it go brown? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what then would I choose? Then I think I would maybe choose probably cuz you, you know when you sat around somebody retching, it's, it makes you retch. It's so horrible. The smell of vomit is disgusting. So I think vomit is the least, and then Whoa, I would probably you would rather be shit upon. Brown shower before Roman shower. Yes. All right, I'm opening Definitely. up a Patreon poll to this. I want to hear this. And I guess men and women, would you rather have Everyone. yellow shower, brown shower, Roman shower? Let's just kind of see the order here. I think everyone will agree with me. I'm speaking the truth. You go urine, shit, then vomit. Because vomit's gross. I've been barfed Plus on. Plus you also didn't. I've been barfed on by babies. I've been barfed on by animals. I've no, been barfed- no, no, no. We're not including babies or animals. We're talking in a sexual manner. This is purely in a sexual manner. You're going to get piss, shit, or vomit. Put it this way. I'm not going to Brown Town. For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think of me. So like Dee was saying, we've both been to Pielis Chase, or Le Chase, how are you saying it? Le Chase. Le Chase. Uh, Le Chase, a few times. <laughs> but we're going to get into like a little bit of the history to the largest graveyard in Paris. It's what's called a garden cemetery. These were very popular in the 19th century. Um, Pierre Lachaise opened in 1804. And they were popular because they were usually built just outside the city, but they're close enough for visitors to come and see them. And this is when cemeteries started to get ornate because the attitudes towards the dead and the dying and the holy immortals, they were changing. And this was in contrast to the very puritanical pessimism of like early burial grounds where it's just like a simple, like you just get a stone. That's it. Yeah, very just authoritarian. You get a stone and it's all uniform. That, yeah. you know, Père Lachaise definitely isn't like that. There's like no. paths everywhere. It doesn't even really, I mean, I, it obviously has sections and grave markers, but it does seem like you can kind of wander between some, you know, between the tombs, between the stones and just sort of make your own have way a day. through it. Yeah. yeah, have a day of it. 
So Père Lachaise was established as a cemetery by Napoleon in 1804. And the plans were laid out by Alexandre Theodore Brongniar. Brongniar. Um, Just Brongniar. say it like you're Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards. I should, like, pronounce it like an American. Uh, yes. Napoleon, who was uh, proclaimed emperor by the Senate just a few days uh, before, in, um, before he established uh, the cemetery here, he declared that every citizen has the right to be buried regardless of race or religion. So Jews, there's a Jewish section and a Muslim section at Père Lachaise. Uh, now it's, they're all mixed up, but there yeah. was, yeah, to begin with. So we have, like we were saying, there's statues, there's elaborate memorials alongside crypts and tombs and mausoleums, which we were calling crying chambers. Uh, it's now the norm. And as rural cemeteries, they're kind of used in the same way that we now use parks. They were considered recreational spaces. Um, having the more grand and ornate grave was a great way to display your vast wealth, even in death. So in its beginnings, Pierre Lachaise was not a popular place to be buried as it was considered far too outside the city for visitors and its first year it held only 13 graves which is absolute madness now because there's more than 1 million bodies buried there and there's at least 300,000 grave markers yeah, the administrators they came up with this amazing marketing strategy in its early days to attract the living and the dying to the grounds and they organized the transfer of the remains of the famous poet Jean de la Fontaine He's basically Francis, uh, Francis Shakespeare. Moliere was also buried there, and they would be the first famous people to be buried here, and most certainly not the last. Anna Karina, my favorite 1960s swinging actress, and beauty of Godard's lens. She joined the long list of the holy in a 20, oh, 2019. I thought she was 21, 2019. Yeah, I thought it was more recent than that. I mean, her grave looked kind of new. Oh my God, it's still too recent for me, Dee. I'll never get over Anna Karina dying. I wonder if she was inspired by Jim Morrison, because I'm sure he inspired a lot of people to get buried at Pamphlet Please stop this. Stop that. He doesn't deserve to be in that cemetery. When we were, we were at the grave, because we were kind of wandering around, and Kate's like, I couldn't be arsed to find Jim Morrison, the cunt. And so we were like, I didn't really care either. I've seen his grave enough times. But we, were, we ended up just, you saw like all the people we were kind of looking for it. Yeah, we were walking that direction, so we kind of walked over there. And uh, the cool grand granddad um, from Prague that we talk about in the second show was there hanging out, and he was telling us about like Jim Morrison. And we're, I, I mean, I liked Jim Morrison, especially when I was in ninth grade in the Doors. I, you know, I don't listen to him as much as I did back then, but I still do respect Good. Jim Morrison. But anyway, we're sitting there talking to him, and then this like booming voice of this Mancunian, this Manche- guy oh, from Manchester. <laughs> you, were, you were just like. <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here now. I don't um, go to Paris to fucking hear English people, especially English people from down the road from me. Well, he, he was like, uh, wasn't there a bust of a statue of his head? And, it's like, and that's the thing. Yeah, like 40 fucking years ago, mate, there was in the 80s. Yeah, someone, some, so there used to be this, I think it was just a bust of Jim Morrison that was on the grave. But yeah, it was like, it's, it was stolen like 40 years ago. I wonder, time you know, ago. I wonder if the same guy that stole Morrison's bust also stole Oscar Wilde's cock. Well, let me tell you, I would much rather have Oscar Wilde's cock in my house. <laughs> Actually, if I'd have stolen that Jim Morrison bust, I would have just cracked it outside on the street. <laughs> Be gone! Père Lachaise is still an operating cemetery to this day and accepts new burials. 
Yeah. However, you don't the rules. Have to be famous. Yeah, the rules to be buried in a Paris cemetery are rather strict. People may be buried in one of these cemeteries if they die in the French capital city or if they live there at one time. And that's why Jim is there, because that's where he died. And being buried in Père Lachaise is even more difficult nowadays, is there's a waiting list. There's very few plots that are available. And the grave sites there range from a simple unadorned headstone to towering monuments and elaborate mini chapels dedicated to uh, you know, a well-known person or a celebrity or a whole family. And many of the tombs like, kind of look like the size and shape of like a phone booth. They're the ones we were calling a crying chamber. Where yeah. you go in and discreetly cry for your loved one and then you would come out and just begin your day again. Well, that's the idea. It's enough space for like a mourner to go and, and you know, kneel and say a prayer and bring flowers. I, do, I like the crying chambers. I agree with them. It's I just a little cool. safe space. Yeah, I think they're cool. We can go and have a little cry. And it's amazing how many of them you can still just like pop into. This is why Nico Clow was like stealing skulls and shit. It's so easy. So uh, we were talking about Anna Karina. Her grave is very simple at the minute. There's just pictures on it because it does take a while to make a headstone. And we were saying the rules on being buried there are very strict. But there is one crypt there that towers over the rest. And it's by far the creepiest to be found in the land of the dead. And that's the crypt of the vampire princess of Pierre Lachaise, the Baroness Demidoff. You can find the Baroness in Division 19. It's a marble tomb atop the hill, towering over all others at an impressive and very imposing 10 meters tall. The mausoleum is covered in strange symbols, numerous animals, weird cryptids, and the numbers that adorn it are said to have an occult significance. Visitors who linger for too long near this tomb have said to have reported feelings of desolation and emptiness, a feeling that their life force is being drained. And I can attest that I found it creepier than all the rest, but maybe that's because I already knew the story that I'm about to tell you. Well, Did that's you find the thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We already, we were looking for it. We were, we were seeking, you know, this tomb. Because I, I, you know, I must have walked by it. I just probably never really knew the story or, or knew about it. Uh, when I previously visited Père Lachaise. But you can't miss this this mausoleum. I mean, it's, it's like huge. it definitely stands out um, amongst uh, its peers. But when you're walking by, it's just like this massive mausoleum. And then on the side of it, where the entrance to the tomb, it is very, very creepy, very eerie. Like you stand there, and it's pitch black in there. And, and you, you stand at the gate, and you feel this like unearthly... Cold, cold wind coming wind. from it you know yeah. I'm, I'm obviously making it sound creepier than but it is maybe creepy. it is but I've it is you know compared to all the other graves when you're and we were walking around during the day and it was creepy during the day and i took like i held my phone up to take pictures so we can kind of see what was inside and you saw this like massive dead tarantula looking thing that was the biggest dead spider hanging from the ceiling i've ever ever seen it was just gigantic and the you can't see to the back of the tomb either on the inside so you don't actually know how big it is like your light wasn't even hitting the back of the wall it's huge inside yeah i mean it's it's it is weird when you look inside there you kind of like lose sense of of space and time like you just kind of look at it you're like i can't really tell like does is this because i mean it it's obviously doesn't go on you know it's not like you know, 30 meters squared. But I mean, as you look at it, it's, it's, it's kind of like an optical illusion. It, it appears much larger than it actually is. Yeah. 
So the mausoleum, it's built to resemble a Greek temple. It's surrounded by pillars. It's capped with memento mori symbols of eternal flames. And it belongs to, and it is the final resting place of the Russian aristocrat, the Baroness Elizaveta Demidov, also known as Elizabeth. That's what we're going to be calling her. And she's going to be far more interesting in death than she was in life. But we are going to get into, you know, a little bit about who she is. So she's born under the sign of Aquarius in St. Petersburg, Russia on 5th of February, 1779. She's born into an incredibly rich family, the Stroganovs. Yes, the one for which the dish is named after. What, they created beef for, Stroganoff? The, no, Stroganoff is named after them. Whoa, that's crazy. That's how fucking famous and rich and powerful they are when they have food named after you. How were they able to patent Stroganoff? No, the dish was like it was probably a chef who was like I, a Russian chef who was like I will create a great dish for family. I name it the Stroganoffs, and then they oh, would eat it and be like, I "Oh, this is a beautiful dish named for us, the Stroganoffs." Hmm. I like a Stroganoff. Wow. Did the same thing happen with Sloppy Joe? I create a beautiful dish for you. It is named Sloppy Joe, <laughs> and some American was like, "This is delicious." I imagine it was one of Joe's exes. More slop, please. Can you remember in Roseanne when she opens up that uh, open-faced sandwich restaurant? It's like mincemeat in just like a bun. Like isn't, dry mincemeat in a dry bun. Isn't that Sloppy Joe? It, no, it's different to a Sloppy Joe. I remember it's like, the, I can't remember what she calls it, but it's like an open-faced mincemeat sandwich. And it just looked like the driest thing in the world. I remember my my mom when uh, I became a vegetarian. I think I, we talked about it. Like she made us go to the family psychologist because she was worried mm-hmm. about my health. But then she got really creative and inventive with some of these meals. But one of the meals that she made that I probably despise the most, sloppy tofu. <laughs> it was the Ugh, grossest tofu thing. Tofu is already sloppy enough. I know, but she would like cut up the tofu and put like manwich sauce and all this crap, and it was just it was just fucking gross. Even the dog would eat it. Like a Benji would come over, he'd sniff me like, oh, food, oh, fuck that, and just walk away. <laughs> My mom's like, you don't walk like away. your tofu. Sloppy tofu. No, I don't, I don't want sloppy tofu. I want my tofu to have a bit of firm to it. <clears throat> so this family from the time of Ivan the Terrible, who ruled since the age of three and whose favorite hobby was burning churches, the Stroganovs financed the conquest of Siberia by Russia, and eventually the family trickled down into the Romanovs, who were the Tsars of Russia from 1613 onwards. So Elizabeth, to quote John Fogarty, was born silver spoon in hand. Lord, don't they help themselves. Yeah. Elizabeth's a hottie, and she was said to have a great sense of humor, which will come into play later on. Her portraits are considered collector's items now, and she was probably on the upper end of Russian cam girls of that era. And this is probably what caught the eye of the Demidov family. And she was married off to Count Nikolai Nikacic at the age of 16, and he's 22. He's quite a handsome fellow, too. That has to be an arranged marriage, obviously. Well, yeah, it's like they all were marrying for, like, political and power reasons back then. Although there's not much of an age difference there. 16 to 22, she got lucky. Because sometimes didn't they marry him off to, like, six-year-old men? And he's he's kind of attractive as well. He's got blue eyes and like he's got kind yeah. of soft facial features. Like I I didn't think he was unattractive, but obviously whenever they made portraits, they made you look better than what you did in real life. So who really knows? But anyways, 
We've got to make a distinction between these two families. The Demidovs weren't aristocrats. They had risen up from the peasant class to become landowners. Then they became traders. And then they went onwards to being industrialists, with most of the Demidov vast wealth coming from salt and fur, which go hand in hand together. They entered into Russian nobility by Peter the Great. The Great is a nickname being actually true for this Tsar um, because he's the Great that brought the West to Ru Russia alongside ruling with his brother Ivan, which I think is a bit weird, two brothers ruling, because it's like it's like disgusting. Like, you know, when two brothers run a restaurant together, it's a bit disgusting. You don't go to a two-brother restaurant, do you? No, it's, it's creepy. It's like, uh, what's that Cronenberg movie, Dead Ringers? Weren't they both like yeah, uh, the two gynecologists? Twins. Yeah. Well, twins it's are just... creepy as it is, but two brothers that have their own, like, you know, practice, like gynecological practice. Would you ever go to that? No, you'd never go to a male gynecologist. What did, what did, why did they want to look at stinky puss all the time? That's creepy. No, never. If you need any more assurances of this family's wealth and their reach, the next time that you sit down to enjoy a, an aperitif in Florence, because uh, all of us are doing that all the time, then you might find yourself in the Piazza Demidoff. And that's a square with a monument in the center that is dedicated to the family. You can also stroll by their family villa and the attached parklands. Um, and this is where they would summon during their winter for their lung conditions which I do think we need to bring back to modern society. I am a fan. I want my doctor to say, Kate, go to Italy for six months over winter. Your lungs will feel better. Hey, I Not get it. I got, I got the asthma. I'm totally down with going to Sicily for, like, Let's you know, do for it. the winter. So even though Elizabeth was from a, a dynasty lineage, lineage, this was a good match in terms of power, wealth, and politics. But not in terms of personality. We will get into that a bit more. Although this could be as simple as the fact that um, Nikolai, Nick, dear old Nick, he's a Libra and she's an Aquarius. And two air signs together is just daft. It's not going to work. You, you just can't have them, especially a Libra and an Aquarius. Hmm. It's not going to work, do you? I'd have, to, I'd have to look at my tarot cards to make certain. But well, I don't know why, because they're, they're two totally unrelated things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Aquarius was a water sign. No, we have this argument every time I say this. You're an air sign, and Aquarius is an air sign. You are the best of the air signs. Well, then you're why isn't... Okay, then why isn't the symbol of Aquarius... Why doesn't he have, like, an air horn? You know, why is are you he joking? You're a water? sexy... You're a sexy babe in the river pouring your fountain of knowledge, your eternal fountain of knowledge back the into the river water. feeding yourself. I think if you sexy. had like one of those like, like those air, air An horns. air hop, what, yeah. like a, a, a NASCAR show or something. It'd make more sense. No. You're, you're a sexy babe in the river with eternal knowledge. I mean, that's cool and hot. I'm two fish eating, eating itself. I, I, I'm represented. They floated on down to Paris in 1784 because they're both supporters of Napoleon in France. And they set up their hotel, their first home in the Hotel de Brancas La Rage, which unsurprisingly is now a historical landmark in Paris. It's situated next to the Notre Dame and uh, the Saint-Chapelle uh, Saint Chapel, which we actually went in. I wonder how easy it was to just emigrate to, to Paris, you know, from Moscow back then compared to now. It would be a long fucking carriage ride, wouldn't it? It would have been a long carriage ride, but I wonder if, yeah, and you would have had to go through, um, you know, over mountains. It would have been kind of a harrowing journey. But 
I'm just wondering, like, how could you just move there and just be like, I live here now, you know, bought a huge home. Like, I wouldn't be able just to go move to Moscow. When you're as rich as these people, the world is your oyster. You yeah, can go, you can go anywhere you and do anything. But they moved there. So Nick and Elizabeth, they have one major thing in common. They were both huge spendthrifts, they're party animals, and they spent the next decade or so living it up and, you know, financing various wars, just like the Dauphin and the Dauphin, Louis and Marie, who were doing exactly the same thing. Dee and I are going to chat all about the scandals that surrounded Marie and our trip to Versailles on Overkill next week. So if history and courtly gossip is your thing... It's one of my things. I love scandals of uh, all that type. So that'll be up next week on the Patreon. And believe me, you're going to be very impressed by uh, Kate's vast knowledge of chamber pots. I had no idea, but you really know a lot about chamber pots. I know a lot about chamber pots, and I also know a lot about the pissing history of Versailles. I surprised myself with just, I was like, when's, it, when's the piss smell coming? And as soon as it hit, I was like, dude, this piss in here is 300 years old. It does hit you like a slap in the face, like with a hand covered in urine. It's never going to come out. During this decade or so, they had four children together, two of which would die in childhood. As the partisans are taking control, the French Revolution is coming. Tensions are mounting between Russia, basically all of Europe. They moved first to Italy before going back east in 1806. Elizabeth, she would spend long periods of time alone because Nikolai was off fighting in the Russo-Turkish War, which lasted from 1806 to 1812. And it's probably quicker at this point to name the countries that actually weren't at war during this time. All of Europe is like, uh, like uh, we're fighting each other like dogs. Nikolai also fought against Napoleon when he invaded Russia to try and stop military blockades to the United Kingdom. Their eldest son, Pavel, also joined their father in, con- in combat. I want to give a quick shout out to the Swede now, who's a patron, and he rings in. He's a good caller. I love his phone calls. He's a fellow lover of history, especially military history. So this is for you, Swede. Father and son commanded against Napoleon's forces at um, Ovarius, probably saying that wrong, during the Finnish War. I told you every country is at war at this point. Where Sweden was fighting to regain control of Finland. The Swedish lost that day, not because they weren't gallant or even inferior, but because they had only one ally in that time period, and that's Great Britain. Whereas Napoleon had all of Russia at his side. Don't worry, though, because everyone will have his own, her own Waterloo, and our dapper Emperor Bonaparte's time is coming. Great so wait, song. every country in, uh, in Europe was at war during that time? What about Switzerland? Not sure about Switzerland, but you're forgetting that obviously all the territorial lines were different and countries were still... Like, we owned Belgium at that time. United Kingdom, Belgium's ours. And we owned other places. Same with, like, France and Italy. Like, these countries weren't under their own control. It is kind of amazing when uh, we're in Portugal to find out what, you know, the areas that they colonized. Like Macau in China. How the hell did they get all the way out to Macau? on a boat on a boat (laughs) they went there on a boat but it's just weird how these little countries like even the united kingdom is little it's a tiny little island we we controlled pretty much all the world and you know why it's because we're wankers we would just stroll into a into a country and be full-on essex dickheads about it and i thought you guys were beloved across europe (laughs) (laughs) the most amenable tourists that's why I say I'm Scottish when we're away. You see people's faces light up when you say you're Scottish. 
I would like to say, as an aside, one of the fav my favorite things that we saw in Versailles was the sculpture of Napoleon, where he's all like slumped and defeated and grumpy in his chair, because half of Versailles is uh, devoted to the Bourbon family, and the other half is devoted to Napoleon. Uh, that's for people who haven't been to Versailles. Anyways, sorry for that little history uh, lesson. History's boring, Oscar. Although someone recently said that we were just like every other true crime podcast that's out there. I'd like to see Nick and the Colonel try and talk about uh, all these periods of war that I just mentioned. Who's Nick just and like, the Colonel? Nick and the Colonel from True Crime Garage. That's what I oh. work out to because they do long form podcasts where it's like, he is six episodes all about the Zodiac and I can zone out to it. Was the guy's name the really Colonel or did he just call himself the Colonel? He calls himself the Colonel. Oh, okay. It's not his so real name. Like, that'd be kind of a cool first name. I was going to say, it's pretty bold naming your child the Colonel. They're either <laughs> going to be a wanker or they're going to be fucking cool. Yeah, it's like you, it's one or the other. There's no in between. So Elizabeth and Nick, they're both heavily invested in art. In fact, their collections were so huge, so vast, that they filled villas in Italy. And now they've become part of the Moscow University. And they're also, their collections are also in London. They opened schools, they modernized factories, they built bridges, they engineered Russia into a new era. They brewed wine in the Bordeaux, they planted olive trees in the Crimea. They imported racehorses from England, Mariano sheep from Switzerland. They maintained huge herds of cattle, goats and sheep, and they cultivated cotton and saffron. This is what very, very, very rich people do with their time and their money. Big ballers. Big to be fair, I would do a lot of that as well. I've always said to you, if I ever became rich, I'm investing in racehorses. I'm getting herds like of goats. Mafia. Just a herd I want of a herd goats. of goats. Can we get? Can we get the tiny little goats that we have to put pajamas on? I just want all black goats that walk With on their little... hind legs. No, we want the tiny little goats that you have to put pajamas and cowboy hats on, and we can just make little reels of them, and it will go viral because it's a goat in pajamas. <laughs> Maybe they were investing all of this, not just because they're very, 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 very rich, but maybe it was a distraction from the fact that they did just not like each other very much. In 1812, Nick was made Russian ambassador to the court in Tuscany, and then his next step was basically to divorce Elizabeth. He was out at this point. I wonder if he had a side hoe. I couldn't. He did remarry. But he didn't have so. any other children during that time period. So he's away at war. Who's he side-toeing with? Do you think he's bumming these soldiers? There's, there's, uh, there's prostitutes. There's war whores, yeah, who would go yeah. out into the fields. Full metal jacket style. There's brass when you're, you're off at war. <laughs> okay, Leander. <laughs> Their divorce, it wasn't filled with hatred. They were just two totally different spirits. Elizabeth was beautiful, funny, and very witty. She's the life and soul of the party. Uh, she had a smile that could light up the room. And Nick was very quiet, introspective, might have had a bit of PTSD from the war. They're just incompatible. She returned to Paris, and this is where her story and the legend of the vampire princess begins. She loves Paris. Anyone who has been there, they know it's a drinker's town. You're never alone in a cafe. There's so much to see and do. And this suited her very outgoing nature. But she's not going to be backing her in her beloved Paris for long. On April the 8th, 1818, at the age of just 39, she died. I tried looking really hard for a cause of death, but a lot of this story is like Dave Bowie print the myth. So let's just, you know, we can make up anything. How do you think she died, dear? Just come up with something. 
Mm, I don't know, consumption? Let's just say she died of consumption. She was buried within days in the newly opened, now fashionable Pierre Lachaise. Originally, her ornate tomb was in the 39th division, way in the back, but she's later moved towards the front, and she's now settled in the 19th, which is very easy to access. You basically just walk up the hill, and she's there. I think this is because of how vast the tomb is. It's one of the largest in the cemetery, and the reason could be because Elizabeth, in death, had a very unusual request. Her relatives immediately contested the will, as she had left a vast majority of her wealth to just two things, the building of her final resting place and a dividend for one person who had the minerals to claim the cash. She had left more than 5 million francs, which I tried to convert, but numbers baffle me, so let's just say it's worth $1 trillion. I think it's like $1 million. Like no, it's $1 trillion. Okay. Billion dollars, okay? To one single person who would remain with her in her tomb for one whole year. It, it's a trope in it. We've all seen the scary little hand movies where an eccentric old gazillionaire leaves his haunted mansion in the will to some unknown family member. This is actually a lifetime dream of mine. But you have to stay in it to inherit it as creatures of the night torment you. This is the same premise, but instead of a mansion, it's a year-long stay in a creepy crypt to unlock all your riches. I think it's worth it. I think a year's a bit too long for me. I think, Unless I could have Nicolas Cage movies. But we'll find out what you have to do. It gets creepier, though. The body of the princess, she's lying in a crystal glass coffin. And it's etched with mysterious numbers and symbols in a wonderful and costly state of preservation. And even more terrifying, the entire inside of the tomb was lined in mirrors. So no matter where you looked... The princess was sure to be in your sights. You can't escape like this corpse. You're looking at her. Yeah, that that's got to be a little bit unsettling. I wonder, have, has anyone taken a picture of her in the crystal glass coffin? I don't think that exists anymore. Oh, okay, so because I'm I'm wondering if she's still preserved, like as a mummy, because that would bother me probably a bit more. If, unless I mean, if she was just like in a tomb, I, mean, I don't think I'd care that much, but. You know, Facts she's like, you know, in a glass coffin, you could see her mummified body you know, staring back at you with those soulless eyes. Yeah, that that might freak me out. I think they're pretty cool, though. I went to that um, that famous catacombs in Sicily with all the mummies on the wall. And it's really not as creepy as you'd think it is. It's just like a, it's kind of like beef jerky in a way. You're like, oh, that human being is so dried out. They're just beef jerky. Do you think the holes still work? We could give it a good go. <laughs> jam a flashlight in there <laughs> <laughs> right there are rules including don't jam a flashlight of my dead corpse man oh whichever man or woman was brave enough to undertake such a task i mean like yeah it's nice to sit somewhere nice and quiet with just a corpse of company but you're not allowed to netflix or chill and or order uber eats inside of that the only vocation for fun was reading but the only light available to you was the funeral lights at the head of the coffin, which was basically two candles in a very, like, gothic Toshia bulb, which was very popular at the time. Yeah, that'd, that'd the, be kind of hard to see the print. Especially those days, the books back then, when the print was so fine and you were looking at it, it's not like you're reading, like, a Playboy. Could you bring in your iPad? No, no iPads. Just a Lame. book. Probably a very dry, crusty, boring old book. Because that's what there's no Bukowski back then. 
The tomb's living guest was not permitted to talk to anyone but the dead princess for the whole year, not even the one person who was instructed to bring the watchers uh, food once a day. Only in the evenings, once the gates of the cemetery had been closed to the public or in the darkness before dawn, could the watchers stretch their legs amongst the other dead and explore the graveyard. So you are locked in. Yeah, but you're allowed to go have a little bez about the graveyard in the morning or at night. Yeah, just for a couple of hours. You're locked in. You're on lockdown. I read that the person who wanted to make a go of the challenge here would be guided into the tomb, um, and the doors would be shut and locked, barred, like securely locked behind them. Should they wish to leave, they could do so at any time. Uh, They would have access to food and water, which would be slid through the door, as would their waste bucket, which would be removed and emptied. So you're in in the tomb with the buckets. You're pretty much just like, you know, dropping, dropping a loaf right in front of the vampire princess. Yeah, but that's how it was back then, D. They didn't have bathrooms. I know, but don't you think she'd be a bit offended? Don't you think she'd be like, you know, you should go outside when you take your little walk around, go take a shit on someone else's grave, and then come back? It was different attitudes to shitting and pissing back then, wasn't it? So, and this is France, too. Yeah. You ever seen the true. film Perfume? Didn't they, did they invent the bidet? Something about the bidet, although the bidet is a French word, but something about the bidet feels very Turkish to me. Hmm. We'll get into that when we do the uh, the overkill. If the rules are not followed for whatever reason, the year-long clock was reset or the quest for the Franks was abandoned altogether. The story of the creepy contest was printed in 1893 in a Chicago Daily Tribune article titled A Chance to Grow Rich. Queer will of a Russian princess. Uh, this is back when queer meant unsettling and strange and not, you know, taken back and turned over today. And for months afterwards, the conservator of Pierre Lachaise received so many letters from all parts of the world that it became a long daily labor to reply to each of them. Desperate people wrote multiple letters begging for a chance to occupy the tomb. And by all accounts, some actually did attempt the challenge. Well, if you're a homeless guy living in, in Paris, like, why not? What do you got to well, lose? Yeah. Get a roof over your head. And food you know, and water and a chamber pot. And a bucket to shit in. Yeah, you know, I think a it's pot a win-win to piss situation. In. That's what he's got. Um, in that article in the Chicago Tribune, um, they note, the will makes no mention of foreigners being ineligible. So there's every chance, therefore, so a, an American who fu- you know, doesn't fear ghosts or ghouls could become rich in a short period of 365 days. And you just send it to, uh, the, the application could just be mailed out to the municipality of Paris. So it is kind of funny that, um, you know, that, that they didn't, you didn't, like in order to be buried in Père Lachaise, you had to be a denizen of Paris or live there at one point. But to uh, sleep with the the vampire princess, you could be from anywhere. Yeah. No one managed more than a few days before the madness set in. And they they would pound on the locked door for freedom. And once released, they would remain more than a little unhinged. One attemptee did not survive the challenge, and he died of a heart attack upon release. Hmm. It's not entirely certain what these people were experiencing. One survivor muttered that he felt that his life was leaving him. He thought he could hold out, but he felt himself getting weaker with every second, unable to see anything but the very exquisite and rotting corpse of the princess. 
Survivors, although we should really call them gamblers of life, all showed signs of bruising and unexplained scratches. They all claimed to have heard unearthly and mysterious sounds. I mean, I wonder where you're sleeping. In the tomb. Yeah, but do you have like a sleeping bag? Do you have a, a mattress? Do you this, it, sleep, what? Like, what are you sleeping you on? You know just nothing straw? of history. Sleeping bags. Well, okay, I'm just Mattresses. saying, like, what, are you, what are you sleeping on? Sleeping on some fucking hay. Ugh, yeah, no wonder they got bruises and scratches. <laughs> the conservator of the cemetery, they breathed a sigh of relief as the story died down, literally, and soon no one applied to be the best friend of corpse. But then the story was reignited in the press in an 1896 article in A Frog Rag from the Streets of Paris, and this brought with it a new fever for the Franks. Application once again flooded in from all parts of Europe, with North and South America, and oddly Belgium, sending in the most letters for the people who were willing and anxious to put up with bumps in the nights and a grisly grinning corpse. An old soldier who was currently a night shift worker, shout out to everyone who works night shift, I am one of you. He was a night shift worker in a factory. He openly declared in the press that he would most certainly last a year if he was let inside the tomb. And a young shepherd from Brussels who needed the money to marry the woman he loved wrote so many letters begging for a chance to meet the conservator that finally the conservator wrote back to him telling him to just leave the cemetery and the dead alone. Quit harassing the dead. Yeah, <laughs> leave me be. I have work to do. It's my dream job to be a conservator of a cemetery. Um, this would be so up my alley. Finally, the conservator at the time, whose name I did try to find, but it does not exist on ye olde Google, Google, was up up to here. He's up to here, D. He's at the end of his tether with all these letters. And he set about trying to find the author of the fable, but his efforts came to naught. He eventually sought, sent notes to all journalists in town, begging them to stop printing presses over the princess. But the real story was yet to be printed in ink. So as told by Henry Haney, what great a great name. name. My name's Henry Haney. In the Boston Herald on the 22nd of April, 1894, the headline salaciously screamed, The victims of a Paris hoax, a bogus special about the will of a princess. And in his article, he traced back to the beginnings of the tale from the first printing five years after the princess's death and tracked down several authors of letters who begged to be let into the darkness. He summed it up by proclaiming it a hoax and saying, of course no harm has come out of this particular hoax, beyond that of showing up the eagerness of some of the people to gain money, no matter how, and we may laugh now over it and at those who have been so easily gulled. Henry, this dude is out and out calling all a hoax, right? It's fabricated by the papers, maybe as a lurid way to bring attention to the huge tomb in the graveyard. Yeah, the cemetery wasn't popular to begin with, but by the time Elizabeth was buried there, it was the place to be buried. It, so she's one of many. It does seem like a marketing stunt. It does, but there are coincidences. Well, my, who's paying the money? Like, I mean, if I, I would want It was in her will. Yeah, but I would want to meet the family. I don't want to see the briefcase with the cash. I'm not just going to go be like, okay, well, it's in her will. Everyone says if you just spend the you know a year in this woman's I imagine tomb, you would have to sign a contract. Yeah, I'm I, not going to let you stay. I there would want a contract. contract. Yeah, for sure. So various journals are actually trying to uncover the truth of this story as late as 1932. Wannabe winners were arriving at the tomb, eager to pass a year and 
fill their bank balance, basically. So the legend of her legend grew further still. Her never decomposing corpse, the strange monoliths on her tomb, the mysterious numbers and symbols are all very Bram Stoker-esque. The tomb, again, we're going to put pictures up, bears the knot of Hercules, which symbolizes the binding of life and death. Even the date of her death has been scrutinized, the 8th of April, 1818, the number eight representing infinity when you turn it on its side. Mythology will tell you that three eights are to vampire law, what three sixes are to the devil, and that eight is also the number of an occult initiation, and it turns to nine when the initiation is complete. You know what I watched actually today, and I hadn't watched in ages? The Ninth Gate. Oh, uh, Johnny, Depp, Johnny Depp, the Polanski yeah, yeah. film. I haven't seen that yeah. in a while. Where's that set? Is that set in Italy? Oh, it's set everywhere. It's set in Paris, and they go to Sintra. Oh, they actually go to Sintra in it. Yeah, super fun. I was like, I've been to these places like last week, and I just randomly put it on because I was like, I'm going to watch this. I haven't seen it in ages. And I love Frank Langella. He's one of my favorite actors. Oh, yeah, he was great in that. CGI yeah, is terrible, though. But... So the Ninth Gate can recommend. There's also an, uh, oh, I will say this wrong because I always do, Aurora Boris. Ouroboros. No, no, the cosmic snake that is eating itself in a never-ending cycle etched into the tomb. And besides that, the location of the tomb is also seen as further evidence that Elizabeth stalks a knight and she's very afraid of garlic. It's basically the hot topic of... Uh... Mausoleums. <laughs> it is the hot topic of mausoleums. It's very goth. They should turn it into a spirit Halloween. Every Halloween. <laughs> that would be the ultimate spirit Halloween. Spirit. I would love to have a birthday party in there. I wonder if it can be arranged. Yeah, With sure the money. As I said before, the tomb was moved and now it sits in what is called the alley of, and I will mispronounce this uh, flower's name. I'm very sorry. Acacius? Acacius? Acacia. Acacia. I don't know what an acacia looks like, so I'm not well, a plant you know, gal. You know 22 Acacia Avenue? We're gonna rock on down to Acacia Avenue. That's the no. Iron Maiden song. 22 Acacia Avenue. I don't know that song. Is that That's a Paul good. song? Nah, it's, uh, I don't know. I forget. I think it's on... Um... Is it a Bruce song? It's definitely a Bruce song, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely why I know it less. So the acacia plant, I looked this up. It's a symbol of resurrection, immortality, and initiation. And like most of the graves in her division, the flower is frequently used in Freemasonry. So remember when we were walking around her division and we just kept saying, that's that's Knights Templar, that's Freemasons. It's because all the graves in that division carry all the same similar symbols. So they've tied it together. As her tomb lies at the top of two sets of stairs, to the left leads to the path of the dragon. And where does the name Dracula come from? When translated, it means dragon or devil in Romanian. So this is all coincidence, is it? Is it? Is it, D? It's definitely, I mean, obviously they must have been into the occult. I think it was was definitely fashionable. Getting to be fashionable at the time. I mean, she seemed to be a bit early for the occult fascination but i'm sure people were into it but she kind of went overboard like she got all the symbols she is you know dracula the you know oroboros eights wolves you know um just you know bats put like them the all whole... on there lads yeah just like let's just make this as goth as can be let's do it 
Even her casket bears evidence of her vampirism. Of her vampirism, it was aligned so that it faced the setting sun, and during the day it was shrouded in darkness and covered in an eerie blue glow. In uncovering the myth, it's easy to look past the coincidences. So fear of being buried alive is rife at the time, no doubt fa- uh, thanks to books like Dracula. And this could explain why she demanded a glass coffin and why she wanted a cellmate for a year. Could explain why the walls were mirror-lined. It was so outsiders could spot signs of movement and less signs of disco. It was popular at the time for coffins to have lights, bells, and whistles. So if one was to do a Beatrice Kidder and wake up inside, you could let the outside world know of your terrible fate. You know, it's interesting that when you sit Shiva at someone's house, you're supposed to cover the mirrors because your soul can get lost in the mirror. Oh, okay. And forever Pop. trapped inside. So this is kind of the complete opposite. Like maybe she yeah. was just really vain. She's like, I just want to be able to see my rotting corpse from all angles. Why not? I think the idea of a mirror-lined tomb is amazing. It is very disco. The emblems on her tomb, they can also be seen in another light. So the animals, the wolves, the bats... They're not unusual when you realize that this is a family that had made their money through industry and through furs. These decorations were also very common at the time. We walked all around that graveyard for half an hour, and especially in that division, and you're going to see countless tombs that are covered in similar carvings. Like, how many owls did we see? I know. That was that like was a twin kind of bizarre. It's a coincidence of all these different, uh, kind of like the phone booth um you know, mausoleums. Crying chambers. The crying chambers. Just, there were so many that were adorned with owls and other Knights of the Templar symbols. Yeah, foxes. I saw a lot of foxes too. Of her will, which was completely settled the debate on this is a real or a hoax, for a woman of her stature and wealth, it has mysteriously gone missing through time. The hmm. dates of the article published are all out of whack. This is a major clue that maybe the vampire princess was a hoax to drum up business. How the myth started, only Dave Bowie knows. But n- now she lies in a state of manner of a morbid fairy tale. Elizabeth might have just been another rich nobody buried amongst rich somebodies. But now her grave stands out amongst the rest. It's a supernatural sensationalism. It coats her entire tomb, making sure that visitors are always drawn to see her. Something you may or may not, uh, well, something she may not have wanted in death. There is also nothing stopping any of you, and I did this the other night, from writing to the current conservatoire of uh, Pierre Lachaise, and that's a man called Benoit Galotte. He wrote a book about the cemetery called The Secret Life of the Cemetery, and he's very available on Twitter. I sent him a message, and if he replies back, I'll update you all next week. I was just basically asking him, like, can you tell me more about the myth? Is it still ongoing? Yeah, I wonder how many people are still aware of that. Like, how many people come there specifically to go to her tomb? Not many, because remember when we were stood there and we were taking lots of videos and loads of pictures, there were people walking past us who were just, like, casually glancing at it. And I think unless you know the story of the Baroness, you'd be like, well, that's a big tomb. Next to another big tomb. Next to 20 other big tombs. Yeah, I think you just kind of walk by and be like, well, it's impressive, but... It's just one of many. But visitors to the tomb should be warned of one thing. Those who attempt to look or film inside the cross-like opening in the rusty crypt door might want to think twice about doing that. 
There are many who have claimed to capture the eerie movements of some blue glowing figure inside. And if you quickly turn away, a glowing demonic face will be the last thing that you will ever see. Oh, come on. I tried doing that for like 10 minutes. We both did. Yeah. But well, we're it not It was creepy. I, did, I mean, I did get some Super photos. Creepy. Yeah, you know, I could put them up, uh, you know, put them on Patreon or someplace. But I got some photos where like you, the, the iPhone adjusts to the darkness and you can actually see inside the tomb. And it's creepy in there for sure. One of the day, because I also got a picture from inside the tomb. So the tomb is not mirror lined anymore. There's no glass coffin. Instead, inside the tomb, there's what appears to me to be four like pillars. And there's writing on all the four pillars, which is probably everyone who's buried in there, including the Baroness Demidoff. It's like the whole Demidoff family. But you can see a date on the one that's nearest to the door. And it says somebody, the, a woman died there and was interred there in 1990. So there are still people being buried inside that family tomb. So that means that there's still descendants that probably live in Paris. There's still, uh, no, the the Demidoff family and the Stroganoffs are still major huge families. They're still fucking rich as shit. So has anyone ever looked into proving whether this is a hoax or not? Well, I think you would need to find her will. Uh, as a first starter and me and you don't know how to go and work a paris library or how to work a russian library at the least or can reach shrillic of all things but you would need to go back and look at like what date of deaths and all that type of stuff in a library on the microfiche google translate could do google Translate. this would be an interesting thing to go and research i got a lot of this information there's a great article by david castleton on the serpentspen.com if you want to like read like, it was much more literary than what I wrote. But it's definitely something you want to experience firsthand. Now, the question is, would you spend 365 days and nights in the tomb for, what, $1 million? $1 million! Um, as spooky and as creepy as I am, and, like, I like all that type of stuff, it's just too long. I can't be away from Chi-Chi for a year. And also, it'd be cold. And I'm so miserable. And I get cranky. And I just don't think I could do it. Are you? I would they, love to see a mirror-lined crypt, though. If it was like the olden days. To have booze? Like, are you allowed to have booze? And no, weed? I don't think you're only allowed to read. Well, which I'm gotta, happy if, about. I like reading. But you get bored. You'd no get bored. beer, no TV. Makes D something something. Bored. Very bored. You know, although, you know, I could see this being like... I could see if they did a Fear Factor type reality show <gasps> i could see a lot of americans being like hell yeah i'll do that i mean these are the same type of people that drink donkey cum live on tv yeah. i could see a lot of americans doing that what would be funny would be to put someone in there or someone you know doing it and doing it like live streaming it like on youtube for a whole year for a whole year like if you could Even- get financing for that even the shitting and the pissing into a pot, would that be the whole thing? The wanking, the screaming, the crying. The wanking. Yeah, no, yeah. you got to put it all on film. It'd be like, you know how they used to do that in the early days of the internet? It's like dudes would just live stream their lives in the apartment. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm surprised I never broke into this crypt. And I am friends with him I sh- on like Facebook. I should try to reach out. Is that Nico Clow, the vampire of Paris? I should have messaged him and said, have you ever broken into it? Because if anybody's going to be breaking into the crypt, it's going to be him. Yeah, speaking of wankers, that guy would be wanking in there. Oh, he would 100% be covering it in jizz. (laughs) That's his thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, people make. You should definitely put it on your bucket list. It should be a goal yeah. in life to go check out Père Lachaise at least once. And when you're there, go stop by the uh, the Baroness's grave. Pay your respects. Give her a kiss from us. Uh, people, this episode 877 here. Sticking around. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. It's butt plug month on adamandeve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. Okay, Rambo, we have a couple phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. Or you can email us. Email us an mp3, sickandrumpodcast at gmail.com. So the first call we have Please. here is uh, from none other than Tim, who's calling in about the small penis contest. Oh, my. <laughs> my goodness. So uh, listeners who might have heard the holiday show, Steele was on a second show that week, and he went into uh, detail describing the small penis contest that we used to have in Essexville, Michigan, actually, not Bay City, but Essexville, Michigan. And Kate was quite intrigued by this. In fact, questions. you were, were like, I would have been one of the judges. Yeah, I'm from a small shitty town and I can certainly understand how a small penis contest would happen and break out. And in fact, I would laugh my head off if I was at a party and that happened. I think it would liven up the atmosphere, certainly. Well, I think Tim feels quite differently about it. In fact, he seems somewhat perplexed. Hey, Dean Gates, Tim calling in. I got a question uh, or comment. I don't even know. Like, I listened to the last Patreon episode with Steel and the penis party. Um, like, so our small penis context, excuse me. Yeah, it wasn't a penis party. It's not just like a bunch of dudes with their dongs hanging out. It's well, a contest. It is. Yeah, but it, it is a penis party. Yeah, but it's a, fier- it's a fierce competition. The best man will win. The littlest man will win. The smallest man will win. By small, I mean very small. Button on a fur coat small. I guess penis party would be a different thing. Is this, I'm curious for the other people out there, do other regions do this? I can't say I've ever felt the urge, need, or heard other male friends going, hey, let's see who's got the shortest stub in the room. Um... I find that very surprising. Everyone always wonders that. You'd think that's quite normal, and you know, in I think it gets it out the way, doesn't it? The the surprise and the mystery, because it's like women with their tits. We can all see how big another woman's tits are. You can't but see how big a man's dick is. It's very different, though, with uh, how women interact with each other versus men. Like I had a because we're not idiots. A, well, I mean, I had a girlfriend. I remember college right after college she was an esthetician and she would just full-on like you know um shave her her best friend who is another hot girl i uh, would just shave her pussy right in front of like the girl would be on all fours and she would just like you know put the wax and just you know um do the whole treatment and i was like so you're 
friend's pussy and asshole is right in your face while you're putting wax on. It's like, can you, could I watch sometime? Maybe in the <laughs> closet, you know, but, but that's the thing. And so it's like, you know, that's kind of intimate, but also like at the same time you change in front of each other and all that. Dudes don't tend to do that. I would never change in front of one of my friends. I'm very Victorian. Like I would never do that. But I'm a not lot of from girls a naked do. household. Yeah, fucking Californian girls might do that, but I'm not doing that. I think just a lot of women do that. Don't catch me fucking get my titties out in front of my friends. Fuck no. Well, because you're an uptight English woman, but I think a lot of yeah. uh, I, th- I I think it's 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 kind of normal. I think other than but with dudes, it's not. So yes, Tim, I think it's a bit of an aberration what happened in Essexville, Michigan. That <laughs> that town is an aberration. It's it's. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I thought the whole time when we would do these penis parties, I mean, you, you can listen to the episode and hear Steele justify it, rationalize it, and explain it. But, yeah, it was weird. And I, I guess at the time I didn't know enough to really think it wasn't weird. I just kind of like, you know, you want to be cool, and here you are at a party, and, you know, and they're like chicks standing around laughing and everything. I never won the small penis contest, if that's, you know, just to put it out there. Um, but it was funny because Kessler won every one, every single one. My friend Kessler was just. But Kessler was like Hulk Hogan at it. He was like everyone would revere it and be like, "You'd be waiting for the champ to to get his fucking cock out, and then the party could really kick off." I'm I'm for the small penis contest. I think it's hilarious. And well, if I, I was it's... at a party now and it, and it happened, I would be laugh. I would laugh till I cried. I think it's cooler than a large penis contest who wants oh, that's that boring yeah it's like you're gonna go out there feeling you know you know under, it's it's gonna make you feel bad it's gonna affect your self-esteem you know what would be funnier though is if um the larger the cock that came out before your eyes you just started booing at them because large cocks are really revolting I don't well that's what would cocks. happen is uh that you is, know because some yeah. dudes would want to be in the small penis contest and they they'd pull their dick out and obviously it was like a, you know they're well endowed and would be like boo get out Dude. you're not in the contest yeah and get booted and Disgusting. usually like steel would almost come in second every time but yeah, we'd have girls like, you know, measuring and all that. And so, you know, I didn't even I didn't even think twice about it. I didn't think it was unusual. I thought it was very normal, very commonplace. And uh, it was just something that usually happened. It was usually there was like a level of inebriation that would have to occur before you whipped your small penises out and before it was a full on competition. And there used to have to be people there that would instigate it like steel. Um, but anyway, when I graduated and went off to uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, I remember telling like uh, one of the uh, my roommate at the time we were like smoking weed and I was telling about it and he was just like, "Dude, that's like super gay," and I I was just like, "Really? I never thought of it that way. <laughs> like it just never it occurred gay. to me." But it's gay in a fun way, and it's not harming anyone, and it's funny. I I would have loved to have been at a party when that would have kicked off. Everyone Tim I've told Ted must be from a big city. Everyone I've told about that is just like that is weird. But you know what though? A lot of weird shit happens in small towns. Yeah, and this is but a then all thing, at least. Yeah. Begs question: Do is there right? I mean, you guys touched on the like meaty vagina contest or whatever. Do ladies do something like this? No, I don't even know. Not idiots. Did I miss something? Did I not miss something? Is there something wrong with Michigan? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, keep it sick. Bye. Can we make a t-shirt that says, is there something wrong with Michigan? 
There definitely is. Um, especially the more north you go in Michigan. You know, I don't hey, know. What are you talking about? Fucking my idol is from Ann Arbor. Two of my idols are from Ann Arbor. You can fucking take that back. Shove that down. You, Ann Arbor, you can't say that. You've never been to Michigan. Ann Arbor's southern Michigan. When you go north. Oh, she is. I thought it was on this lake. I thought Ann Arbor's on the lake. No, it's not. It's inland. And it's also like for Bay City is probably two hours north. Why am of, I thinking there's a fucking Bay lake City's two Arbor. hours north of uh, Ann Arbor. And when you go north of Bay City, it gets even weirder because the towns oh, are shit. smaller. Yeah. No, it's strange up there. Um, so, like, right, let's just go back to my shit geography. This is, like, the Bali incident all over again. So, if, like, Detroit Detroit is, like, here, and Ab is, like, what, south, north, east? South of Detroit. Is it? In my mind, it's north. No, it's south of Detroit. Why? Why do I think these things? Why, why does it happen? you've never been to Michigan. I've never been there, but I've read so much about Ann Arbor, and like I just Ann Arbor's in my near mind, Detroit. I'm like, it's on a lake. It's, it's beautiful near and on a lake. Nah, it's definitely not near. A, it's definitely not a lake. But some oh, suburbs shit. of Detroit are by. Uh, I don't know what lake that is, but there's a Michigan. I'm trying, yeah, I'm blanking on the name of that lake. It's not Lake Huron. Lake Michigan. No, Lake Michigan's the other side of Michigan, the west side. Oh shit! I don't know. Maybe Lake Huron. I don't know. Is Lake Michigan the one where all the boats are uh, at the bottom of it? Sink, yeah. yeah. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. But yeah, Michigan's a weird place. Great song. But it, it does, you know, Tim poses an interesting question. Do women do any? I mean, I imagine women do like wet t-shirt contests. And you can see their titties That's and all that. That's a normal thing. But I've never seen like a roast beef, you know, vagina contest. I think it's hard to compare vaginas, though. Because, you know, well, technically, you're firstly not comparing vaginas at all. You're just comparing lips. Yeah, but like meaty lips. lips. This would be like, this is like Joe's Oh, my God, Jojo wants to be the the judge of the meaty lips contest. (laughs) That would be like his wet dream, to be the judge of the meaty lips contest. I think Jojo thinks about the the meaty lips contest every night. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I You know, honestly, I think women aren't as... uh, being We're not rotundos as uh, men, you know. Although so I, I would have been a judge on the small penis contest, I'd have got a tape measure out and I would have helped definitely. I would have been like, you know, a judge. I'd have helped measure. I would have to call my friend uh, Dreyer to find out who that woman was that was uh, who the girl was that was always the judge. She was always a judge. She Good. and sometimes she'd have a ruler too. I think you need a ruler to judge because. Sometimes, especially with boys, if they don't shave their pubes, it can make the dick look smaller. Although I am not down for men shaving their pubes because I don't want to shag a 10-year-old. Well, there's different ways people would cheat. Like some people would put like their, you know, cold glass of beer or bottle of beer against their their junk and things like that. And if they did, they get disqualified. But Kessler never cheated. And Kessler would always like let everybody go, you know, the runners up and would, would go and then... You know, when they, when they finally, when like they've said, like, this person's got the smallest dick, he would just come out like a champion. Just like slay Hulk Hogan everyone. of dicks. Yeah. No, nah, he, was, he, he was not a well hung man. And that's why he won the competition. Having a sip of wine for Kessler. Well done to you, Kessler. Reigning champ of small dick contests forever <laughs> in Michigan. I wonder if this next caller would have won the small penis contest. It's a good question. Uh, hello, um, this is um, uh, FM again. Um, oh my calling. goodness! I've been, I haven't heard from him. Call actually a while, and I guess the reason why is, I guess another reason for the update is, 
a lot of things have been happening since the last time I called. Um, whew, uh, buying my own vehicle, moving from one state to another, uh, medical health scares, losing members of my family, different things in work. Um, uh, just a lot news. of things, adult things. Like, oh, talk about when he's yeah. This is like a full-on disruption to his uh, to his lifestyle. I must say like, uh, to FM that he has been very quiet on the Discord and we always uh, always ask about him and how he's doing. So uh, FM, if you are listening, we do all miss you and hope you're doing well. But like moving is mental, mate. He was in Amish, Pennsylvania. It sounds like he's going through changes, FM. Oh, like the Ozzy Osbourne song. Like the Black Sabbath song. Adulting would be the better word for it. Um, Adulting. But effectively, I just wanted to call just sort of give a little mini uh, quick update on how I'm doing. At least just something because uh, I have gone out a lot. That's one of the reasons I call, to put little social things out there for people. Um, I went into a little, uh, basically a bigger city town. Uh, I used to be in uh, southwest Pennsylvania, and I moved to a a little town in northern Pennsylvania, close to Pittsburgh, but not that close. And just so he's not in a big city, he's in like a small city. Uh, he's definitely upgraded, I feel. He's moving and on Pittsburgh up. Pittsburgh is like happening, there's loads going on in Pittsburgh. He's moving on up, like the song. Being, I guess, the site, there's new people, new experiences. I have a new place of my own. I what? was able to buy my very first car completely by myself, full cash paid. Although. I've, for the first time, had to deal with car salesmen, and I don't think I'll ever do that again. That was terrible. Uh, health scares, I was saying, because I found out that my dad is actually close to dying of a genetic disease. Some That's kind of terrible. Disease. What song are you playing in something. Changes. And I found out that I might... <gasps> FM's going through changes, all right? He is going Kate, through changes, yeah. Have a little empathy here. FM's going, FM is going through some changes. Some good, some bad. But it's, he's on his path to adulthood. I'm not. <laughs> so, so it's good that one of us is, because I'm not. Alongside that, I'm the magical age of 26, which means I lose a lot of my insurances, so I've had to deal with that. And moving states while still trying to keep my job, which is at least remote, so that's, a, I guess, a positive. I'm also still trying to bake, although that's less now due to all the stressors. And, of course still dealing with the usual therapy because I realize that therapy is actually really needed. A lot of people don't uh, don't really get the benefits of therapy, even though it's kind of embarrassing, but that's not really enough. Really, the only reason I wanted to say this is because I saw something from people on the Discord because oh. also being an adult means I had to kind of put Discord on the wayside and I just... Adults are not allowed to be on the Discord. That's kind of true because it is just a place for uh, unruly <laughs> children, immature adults, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> unruly children will not grow up; must be taken in hand. <laughs> um, that's a Smith lyric, but I forget what song that is. I'm glad that what take unruly adults must be taken in hand. Unruly boys. Sing, sing it like you're Marcy. Go on, hand. sing it like you're Marcy. That's not like you're Marcy. Unruly adults. I forget. Anyway, I think Eminem is, or Eminem. 
I think <laughs> FM. <laughs> that would be amazing if FM became a gangster rapper. Um, that, but I think because F- now he's moved close to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, I just think FM's like, you know what? I'm too busy to come here and look at horrible memes and you know, disgusting yeah. pornography yeah. and uh, listen to Kate Rambo's racist banter and it's anti-Semitic diatribes. Banter, There's a lot of racist banter and look at pictures of Jamie Lee Curtis with the tits out. Like, FM's an adult. He has concerns of an adult. FM has done more in like probably the last like four months than I've done in a year. Like all this moving, buying cars, sorting out bills and shit. Like, well done to FM. Every call, I'm just like, he like th- puts me to shame. Do you I think do FM's going to come on the Discord and be like, it's time to grow up? God damn <laughs> I it. I hope he does. Because <laughs> I need, sometimes I think that I need a, a like an iron fist and a velvet glove. Sometimes I think I need that. Well, you want to get so fisted? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess. No. My hands I don't aren't want that, that big. But you know how, like, hate is a great factor. Like, if I get told I can't do something, well, I'm usually like, well, fuck you. I'm going to fucking do it, and I'm going to fucking show you. But if nobody's, like, pushing me or doing that, then it's like, I I just won't do anything. Just put your iPhones down and grow up. There's a whole world out there. Good good on you, FM. Yeah. This is all major life. Like, do you know what? When FM first started calling into the show, could you ever imagine him moving out, having his own place and having his own car? Could you have ever predicted that for him? To let people know that I'm fine. He's fine. He's flying high like a lesbian seagull, and I'm proud of him. I'm proud proud of him. him. I am, you know? Of all your listeners... Like who ring in of all the callers, he's probably the one who's had like the major like character story arc would be the way to say it. What about Schlitzy? <laughs> Do you think Schlitzy's ever got his daughter back? <laughs> what about Jizzy Jake? <laughs> Jizzy Jake is actually doing really well for himself. I think he loves Asheville, so he's had a good story arc too. He's gotten out of a horrible place and into a better place. He went from Florida to North Carolina, baby. It does make me wonder what happened to people like Trucker Paul or Vietnam Dude. Oh, yeah, I, I do wonder. Or the retarded I've only just learned who Master. Vietnam Dude is. But I wonder Trucker what happened Paul to that guy. One. I don't know. What happened to the caller Eminem? I don't know. A drop off to be an adult. But either way, that's all. And just like before, if I get into any actual social thing at all, I'll try and tell somebody about it if they care to listen. So thank you, we Kate. Do. Thank you, D. And keep it sick and keep it wrong. Well, I wonder if he's got like uh, a four hundred one k now and uh, is like yeah paying a mortgage. He's gonna have to get a wife and a kid. You know, like a you know like a, a sedan. Get a Honda Accord. Is this becoming Dockers. Revolutionary Road? No, I'm just saying he's becoming a man. He's an adult. Yeah, he's looking know? more of an adult than I am. I can't even fucking drive. Yeah, I don't think adults do a do a terrible, hateful podcast for seventeen years. I think they have children. No, they reproduce. True. They invest in stocks. I think FM has probably like more put away in his pension fund than I do in like my savings. Do you think FM has a briefcase? Yeah, he seems like a briefcase kind of dude. Filofax as well. FM has a filofax. 
I don't know what that is, but he probably has. You don't remember Filofax is? So in the days before mobile phones, you would have like it was usually like a lever or a plastic bound or Rolodex. Filofax. Oh no, Rolodex was like the deck of cards. Yeah, that's the one you kept on your your desk. No, a Filofax is like a little book or a that you would take around personally, and it would have like names in it. A Filofax. A Filofax. And it would have information in a Filofax. He might. I guess he might have them. It's kind of like you know, like uh, people used to carry around like those little like my, my mom had an one address of those, book, like a, an address book. Yeah, with like a calendar yes. in it, and you'd write down what you're gonna do. Well, we a file. Fa- yeah, that's a file fax. A okay, file fax yeah. is like a, a a an address book on steroids. Yeah, I remember the rabbi had one. His yeah. was like thick and like full of all sorts of uh, little sticky notes and things like that. Must avoid eating raisins this week. I hate them. <laughs> That's what must piss on the, the manger scene at the courthouse. <laughs> must write screed to place I hate this week. Well, FM, congratulations on becoming an adult. It's like FM had a bar mitzvah, you know, and he's moving on. It is. And I hope, like, although he does have trouble in strife, I hope it's uh, all going to even out and be fine for him. I like, I like the, you know, I like when he checks in with us, you know? I do too. We do I miss worry you on the Discord him. FM, but we understand. We do understand. Yeah, no, I I miss him. I I think about it. I think you know. I think about like you know what's FM doing. Oh, you miss him on the Discord. You you just go into the Discord maybe like what once every two months and drop some disgusting memes and then just roll one out again. I'm an adult, you're Kate Rambo. For, you're I don't too have busy time. for the Discord. So you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I am an adult. I'm adulting. All right. <laughs> <laughs> in my house looking at Pornhub <laughs> looking at so fart that, porn on Pornhub <laughs> you know we were just talking about somebody's made a fake um, account of me so that they could steal credit card information on Instagram the phrase they used in the bio they said a place where I'm romanticizing my life and journaling something I was like romanticizing my life <laughs> it made me laugh hmm. I was like what does that mean I mean, were you fantasizing about being with like a curly-haired Jew and hosting a podcast? Romanticize it? What? Am I supposed to like? I don't know. Wash a glass and be like, imagine I'm in a movie right now. I'm being watched and like romanticize it. I'm like, fuck. I'm gonna get tanked on wine. That's how I romanticize my life. I get tanked on wine. I'm gonna go make bears in the bidet. I didn't um, do it. <laughs> Okay, You're a liar. you didn't do it. I was there. All right, eyewitness. <laughs> you didn't even know what the bidet was. I had to explain it to you. FM, here's a life lesson: adults don't take shits in bidets. All right, they don't. <laughs> it's know for what the a bidet opposite is. of that. Okay. <laughs> all right, um, people, you can call the sticker on hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Uh, once again, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong. It's pretty much the, the, the only reason I'm still doing the show is from uh, the support of the fans. So we, we appreciate it. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Uh, sign up today. Also, the, uh, the first sale of, uh, of, the, of 2023 is going on oh, right now good. at the Tee Public Sick and Wrong there. store. Yeah, I know. It's Let's w- make a Michigan Sucks t-shirt. It'll be like Lester Bang's Detroit Sucks t-shirt, but we'll just say Michigan Sucks. All right, that could work. I could work on that. Yeah. 
Um, I do have a couple ideas for some new designs. I just got to get some time to work on them. But um, but if you want to go get a, we do, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of shirts available. Sickwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Finally, here's Sick Wrong Song of the Week. We're trying to find something somewhat topical, something that the Baroness would have enjoyed. And Kate <laughs> yeah. Rambo picked out the song Roller Girl by Anna Karina. It's a great song. Yeah, I picked this, I picked this out for me, not for the fucking Baroness. I bet the Baroness would have enjoyed it, though. She probably would have. She had a good sense of humor. She was like, and who can't love? I think it's impossible to not love Anna Karina. And I think if you don't like Anna Karina, there's something fucking wrong with you. She gives me chubs. She gives me chubs. She's fucking beautiful. Yeah, she's hot. So this song here is actually written by Serge Gainsbourg, who I'm sure shagged her at least once or twice. Oh, wouldn't you just, though? Like, I would, yeah, I would be powerless. If Serge Gainsbourg is in the room now, you're powerless. As a woman, you were just powerless against him. Do you think he, like, stuck his large French nose, like, inside her vulva? Of course he did, and that's one of the reasons why he's in- incredibly sexy. Snorted like a pig, finding truffles. <laughs> and then he gave you some cocaine. Have you seen that interview of him and Whitney Houston? No. Did he oh, shag I'm going to send you it. He sat next to Whitney Houston, and he's like, I want to fuck you. And she goes, it's funny, I'll send you it. I wonder what Bobby Brown thought of that. Anyway, Anna Karina is quite beautiful, and uh, this song, World of Girls, is from her movie, Anna, which came out in 1967. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 878. Till then, take it sleazy. I should learn how to say that in French.
chance you can uh, listen up real sharp. Here it comes. You ready? Here it comes. 